Whitlow and we're going to continue on with that uh, chat about Vanuatu. Okay, and, and then uh, when I finished the, the contract uh, working for the fisheries uh, in Vanuatu, I went to work uh, for a regional or organization called, the, at that time it was called the South Pacific Commission. Okay. Uh, which was based in New Caledonia and there were 22 member countries and I worked as a master fisherman fisheries development officer uh, for them for, well, on and off for about nine years. And then went on from there. I worked for AusAid, worked for uh, USAID, Asian Development Bank, uh, uh, numerous organizations afterwards. All with uh, the focus on fisheries. All focus on fish. At first it was all fisheries development work, like what I started to do in Vanuatu. And then as the fisheries in the Pacific Island countries started to become under threat because of especially the inshore fisheries from over-harvesting, I uh, turned to fisheries management. So the last eight years I've been doing more, mostly fisheries management work. Wow. <clears throat> so do you know, I'm a, I'm a fisheries biologist. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yes. Oh, interesting. So, okay. so yeah. this really intrigues me. So <clears throat> you come there to yeah. a place that's been fishing at a sustainable level, like yeah. they're fishing for their own... Mm -hmm. Fish and they're doing pretty well at that. I'm quite sure, right? Because well, in Vanuatu, like most Melanesian countries, the people, except for a few areas, basically the people are farmers and not fishermen. Oh, okay. And, and the, the reason for that, okay, in Vanuatu, is that uh, although you have coastal villages, before there there was a heavily colonial influence in that area. Most of the people lived up, up in the mountains just because they were always warring with each other and, and uh, they were much safer up in the mountains than they were in the coastal areas. And then when they moved down to the coastal areas, they still kept their gardens more or less up in the mountains. <clears throat> and the fishing that they did was like uh, mostly like gleaning shells off the reef, um, doing a little bit of uh, handline fishing off the reef. But not a, not a lot, and another big deterrent, especially in Vanuatu, New Caledonia, a few, uh, a few of the other Pacific Island countries, there's a fish poisoning called cigratera, which uh, you, you catch from fish that are feeding in these inshore uh, areas. So that was a big deterrent for a lot of the people uh, to sort of harvest fish on a... Oh. On a um, uh, Sustainable level well, for food. Yeah, for food, well, they basically, they knew which species to, to catch that were safe to eat, but uh, I, I think there was still always a, a bit of a fear about eating fish. And uh, not like in the Polynesian countries or Micronesian countries where uh, the, the people were, you know, for millennium and just been great fishermen. So yeah. there we go, you've just educated me, okay. <laughs> totally in a big way. Okay. So when you start a project like this, mm -hmm. now, okay, now putting it in that perspective, yeah. there must have been an abundance of fish. When we started fishing? Yeah. <clears throat> well, as a marine biologist, you'll find this really interesting, is that because of the cigarettera problem, the type of fishery that we were in introducing was this deep bottom fishery or deep water fishery where we're catching these uh, reef fish but in about 300 meters of water because these fish didn't have any of this cigarettera poisoning. Okay. 
And yeah, we were basically, uh, when I started, they were totally virgin fish stocks, and, and uh, uh, the fish that we were bringing up were huge, beautiful red snappers and big groupers and so on. <sighs> but uh, um, we had marine biologists working with us at that time. Uh, they were taking the, the otoliths out of the, uh, the fish to uh, try to determine their age and their... their uh, <coughs> and <coughs> basically trying to turn their, their age and what they're feeding on and so on. But um, the, the fishery, the commercial fishery was well on their way before they basically determined the fact that uh, one, the <laughs> fish that we were catching were incredibly old because at that depth there wasn't a lot of food so they were very slow growing fish. And two, that they, the habitat being down at three, 300 meters in most of the Pacific Island countries was very small because it, it was just a small band around the, these islands where these fish were uh, could be caught. So in a relatively short period of time with a minimal amount of fishing effort we basically started uh, 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 dwindling down the fish stock. So like even on Panama in that two year period of time we were starting to have to go further and further away to catch the fish. And as I stayed there later, working on a, um, the, the next project I worked with is the Canadian government helped uh, build a second level of a big commercial fishing boat. And that, that was my job to use to uh, go out and catch fish with this boat and see if it was commercially viable. Well, we, uh, when I was working on that boat, we were uh, fishing in north of Fatih, north of Port Vila, and uh, it was a perfect area to, for a boat like that to be based because there was a huge amount of fishing area to go. And when we started off fishing with that boat, I was only going maybe five kilometers away to catch fish. By the end of uh, two and a half years of fishing, I was going close to 20 kilometers away to catch fish. Because just with that boat and a few other small boats, we just basically, uh, cut down the fish stocks in, in the area surrounding where the boat was uh, based. So when we look at international development and yeah. we look at things like fisheries, yeah. just hearing that story, it's a pretty painful story to actually listen to because it's yeah. your lessons learned, right? The massive lessons learned there. Well, there and everywhere else in the world, I mean, uh, basically what we've seen all around the world is just uh, all the uh, major uh, fish stocks, major commercial fish stocks have been uh, harvested to the point of uh, they're either uh, unsustainable now or they're uh, breaking on the point of being unsustainable. And like with our cod fishery here, and okay, in the tuna, in the, I worked a lot in the tuna fishery in the Pacific, which is like a... I th uh, in the Pacific, for sure, it's the biggest commercial fishery in, in the, of the whole Pacific. And now, uh, except for skipjack, all the other major uh, tuna species are under threat also from over-harvesting. So, yeah, wow, every, everywhere around the world, uh, uh, this is a common story of fisheries just being over-harvested everywhere. Mainly because we've just developed technologies that... Uh, enable us to, to harvest vast quantities of fish. But in this case, we were just using very basic, simple uh, uh, fishing techniques 
But even with that, the, the marine biologists at that time, nobody had any idea of how fragile those stocks were. So like with those 120 projects I was talking about, I was, God, where were I was back in Vanuatu a few years ago, and uh, I was talking to the fisheries officers there, and of all the, uh, the 120 projects, I think there were only 10 that were still operational in the whole country. Wow. And it was, wasn't because people, they sure, some of it was mismanagement, some of it was lack of uh, commitment to the projects, because, you know, uh, there were a lot of forgivable loans and everything that went on. It, it basically, I, I would have put the major reason for most of them failing was the, uh, the fact that uh, the uh, stocks were so fragile and that when you're using fuel to get out there to go fishing, the further away you have to go, the more your expenses are, you know. And so did the people of Van Vanuatu begin to have a, a bigger appetite for fish? Did their sure. consumption increase? Oh yeah, hugely. Well, like, uh, on Panama, for example, when I got there, um, Fish was really a delicacy. It was like something special that you, you serve for uh, uh, family occasions or community occasions and so on. Well, when we started being able to supply fish on a regular basis, um, people around the, the island were spending most of the, Unfortunately, they started spending a lot of their savings just to buy fish. So that, that was another thing that happened during the project was that in the lifetime of my project in Pama was that we thought that we could just catch the fish and sell it to the people on the island. We didn't have any refrigeration or anything. We just went out there and harvested the fish and we went around the island and, and sold the fish from the boat. Well, as we started depleting all the savings of the people on the island, they couldn't buy the fish anymore. So then we had to start bringing in freezers and, and bringing in um, ways of being able to store the fish so that we could either uh, keep it for special occasions when there was a bigger demand or export it to Port Fila to sell it to a, the, a bigger urban market there. So that, that's, yeah, after the first year, almost every project that had been there for a while, we had to bring in uh, freezer facilities or cooling facilities to export the fish to Port Vila or up to Santa. Oh my yeah. goodness, so I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, Here's, well, you were a commercial fisherman, so you weren't yeah. one of our, you know, pretty well in those days, naive CUSA volunteers that went out in the field, but no. still quite naive when you think about, well, well, there's the ocean, there's the water, I mean, sure. there's the fish. Uh, well, even in Nova Scotia, where I came from. Yeah. Well, it's funny, I just, ended, I just finished writing a book about all this, this whole experience. Oh, I, great. I've been trying to get it uh, published. published. Because, well, I must say, after 20 years of, of um, working in the Pacific region, well, more, more, almost 30 years, is that those first two years in, in Vanuatu were probably, had the biggest impact on me. I probably learned more and I probably worked harder there than I, uh, I did all, uh, the rest of my uh, career working overseas. It was, and, and all the things that happened there basically you could apply to almost any situation that came up afterwards. It, yes. it was really um, an incredible learning experience, a really a rich experience. Eh? Because I, not, I I lived out on the outer island, so I got to see what would, 
what the uh, the problems were, what the the uh, benefits were, how great a culture it was living in the outer islands. But I also lived in the urban environment in Port Vila for quite a while, so you know, started seeing how the country worked on a you know uh, from Port Vila as a base, and, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it was just a, a really rich experience. Eh? Wow, yeah. that's probably one of the most, I mean, yeah. for me, one of the yeah. most interesting interviews because it just, you just educated me big time. Um, I'm going there in December, okay. so yeah. now I can think about those things mm. before I get there instead of uh, having the same kind of uh, thoughts that I would have had, as we mentioned earlier, Pacific Islands, right. fish, <laughs> people. Wow, by the well, way. But the, the thing that struck me the most about, uh, okay, the, the CUSO program is we, we had people, like uh, there were a few, almost all the people that were working in the Outer Islands were involved in the fisheries project when I was there. There were a few, few people, I think, working in rural water supply, but I think, or maybe they were, yeah, there were, there were a few Canadian volunteers working in the rural water supply. And our experience of Vanuatu was so totally different than the people that were based in Port Vila, where they were working with gover government departments, working in the hospitals, and so on. In fact, th those people, they basically lived a Western lifestyle in the Pacific Islands. Yeah, yeah. And they had, their, their contact with the, the, the local people basically was just working colleagues in the working environment. And, and many of them, more or less, tried to keep themselves apart from the local community as much as possible. They had little or no understanding of it. Whereas like all of us who lived in the Outer Islands, one, we became totally fluent in the language. Two, we knew the culture inside and out. And, and so we really knew the people of the country. I, uh, uh, the language is Be? Bishlama. Bishlama. Yeah, yeah. comes from a uh, French word for sea cucumber, I think. <laughs> No, Weird, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they still call uh, sea cucumber uh, almost ar all around the Pacific Beche la Mer. Beche la Mer. Yeah, oh. Beche la Mer. Oh, and, wow. uh, well, it's just unbelievable that you showed up today. Okay. And I think that the lessons learned, if I may summarize, and then you tell yeah. me whether I'm right or wrong. When you go on assignment, it's yeah. really important to observe. Yeah investigate, document, and then consult the local community before yeah. a project as vast as that one begins. Like, we exactly. can think it out. Sure. I mean, I, from the QSO point of view and from the volunteer's point of view, because some type of, like I've noticed with the Peace Corps especially, is that uh, a lot of the people in these communities, when they get a volunteer that comes to live with them, First of all, they've had minimal amount of information given to them about uh, uh, who the person is, where they come from. They don't often, hardly, sometimes don't even know that there's a project going on in their village because usually these are arranged by politicians who don't uh, uh, have that close a contact with their uh, with the community. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think it's really important that. The community is really knows what they're committing themselves to to have a volunteer live in the in the village because 
it, it, it is a big thing in, in some of these remote villages to have a person in their community because a lot of these people might feel, in the afternoon, they feel uh, ashamed that they haven't got constant electricity or constant running water, that maybe their buildings aren't uh, up to scratch for a volunteer to, to live there. And, and uh, yeah, they're... <clears throat> Uh, it has it's, a, it's as big an adjustment for them to have you there as it is for you to be there. That's really wise. Yeah. Uh, so these yeah. great lessons and more to okay. share. Okay. Uh, so fisheries and lessons from Vanuatu from Peter Watt. Thanks, okay. Peter. Oh, okay.